Al-Jazeera podcast. Hi, Malika here. Today, we're bringing you an episode with Hala Mohyeddin. Here's the show. We're moving forward, New York. We're moving forward. And you got to believe. New York City is the wealthiest city in the United States. By some counts, the world. But after three years of pandemic, it has yet to build back better. The rental market is white hot and the prices are sky high. Major crimes across New York City continue to threaten people's sense of safety. Efforts to make New York feel safer have drawn attention to a problem that's ever-present, homelessness. The number of unhoused single adults now 117% higher than it was 10 years ago. The number of homeless people in New York reached record levels during the pandemic. There's been a high-profile effort by the city's new mayor, Eric Adams, to get people off the streets, including controversial sweeps of encampments and hospitalizations by police, even when people do not want to go. New York City will hospitalize more people with severe mental health disorders, with or without their permission. So why is this happening now? And is the U.S.'s wealthiest city caring for its homeless or hiding them? I'm Halima Hiedin, and this is The Take. To understand the homelessness that people are facing in New York, you have to understand its shelter system. I spoke first to Peter Malvan at the Urban Justice Center. My name is Peter Malvan. I'm a homeless advocate, have been for 32 years living on the street. I'm now housed. I'm in my apartment. Um, I've had 32 years experience, both being homeless and developing systems of working with people to get them stable and housed. So you've lived through a lot of the same things that people you're now helping are living through. Over the 32 years, I slept in different places, including the subways, an encampment at Battery Park, um, isolated on FDR, um, Central Park, Riverside Park. But I always worked with people, brought them in or provided them information where they could get food, clothes, but from what I saw, I opted not to use those services. Peter also decided not to live in one of the city's shelters. He chose to fend for himself because the conditions in individual shelters are notorious. What I know now from people who've been in the shelter, who've left the shelter, who've opted to stay on the street, is the conditions in our shelter system um kind of horrifying. Dirty toilets, broken tiles, garbage-strewn facilities. Mold everywhere, roaches, mice. The facility is unlivable. It sounds, I mean, I'm talking to you from the UK, and it really struck me when you said you didn't want to go to one of these shelters. Can you just explain to me why that might be? Because my instinct would be to, to stay in a shelter rather than on the street. Are you saying they're not safe? They're not safe places? Oh, they don't feel safe at all. 
this congregate shelter where there can be 10 to 18 people in a room. You have to realize this 10 to 18 people are destitute. The only common bond they have is they're stuck in the room together. Mm. They have to arrive at 10 and it's been extended to 11 o'clock at night. They're locked in. And what about the staff there? Are they working to keep people safe or...? The staff um, are people who may be a check away from homelessness themselves. They kind of have to build up a wall because they're looking at what will happen to them in a couple of weeks if they lose their job. And sometimes because of those anxieties, they treat people extremely badly. They treat people like their numbers, like you're in prison. Does it feel like a prison sometimes if you're being locked in and you have to arrive at a certain time? It sounds very institutionalized. It's 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 a mass institution actually costing our city four plus billion dollars per year and only holding like up to 70,000 people. People in rooms that are 10 to 20 deep with no real, clear, organized process to get them housed. While New York is eager to move on from the pandemic, it's not COVID that's over. It's the pandemic assistance. It shouldn't be a shock that when you get rid of the housing for the lowest end of the income ladder, that at the same time, you see a stark rise in people experiencing homelessness. That's Max Rivlin-Nadler from Queens. I've covered homelessness, affordability, and policing in New York City for the past decade. Max is a founder of Hellgate, a news outlet that covers New York City. He's been watching the relationship between the city's affordable housing crisis and the rising numbers of people going homeless. Rents have skyrocketed, and so have evictions. During the pandemic, there was an eviction moratorium that kept people in their homes. On top of that, there were a lot of hotel rooms that were made available to shelter people experiencing homelessness. So there was this really full government operation to make sure that people could safely space themselves from others if they were experiencing COVID symptoms. Since the, you know, quote unquote, end of the pandemic in New York City, um, these protections have been lifted. And on top of that, a lot of the court support that was meant for tenants has not materialized. So what you're seeing is a lot of people are being evicted and more often than not, instead of moving in with family, end up in the shelter system. As Peter explained, the shelter system is not a place everyone wants to end up. But New York City's mayor, Democrat Eric Adams, has been adamant that homelessness is a crisis that must be addressed. We betrayed New Yorkers. And that was the state of existence. We pretended as though we didn't see it, and we allowed them to live in inhumane environments, and that is not what my administration is going to do. We are not going to live in fear and frustration that we can't seem to get our system safe and operating correctly. Eric Adams was elected in 2021 
but his background is in policing. He was a longtime New York Police Department officer and, in fact, a pretty vocal critic of New York City's policing practices towards uh, black and brown people, as well as its indiscriminate policing and stopping and frisking of young men. On the campaign trail, though, Adams was a big advocate for law and order. And as mayor, he's run with that approach. Adams is a mayor who very much likes to give a press conference. He wants to pump up the image of New York City as a place where people can do business and especially where the wealthy can feel at home and safe. That's partly because people are very worried about increasing crime. Polls show concern about crime is at historic highs, though the crime rate is still historically low overall. But crime is higher than before the pandemic. There have also been multiple high-profile incidents on the subway. One, just days after the mayor was sworn into office, involving a mentally ill man who was homeless. An Asian woman was pushed to her death in front of a train by a suspect who the NYPD says was out on parole. Mayor Adams has blamed crimes in the subway mainly on people experiencing mental health issues, although data doesn't show a direct link between mental illness and crime. Max says a big contributor to the concerns is that the city needs people commuting to the office again, and it needs those people not to be scared of crime. A lot of New York City is kind of structured around that idea. You have a lot of businesses in Midtown that rely on people going to the office. And more importantly, you have a lot of office building owners who are big donors to the Adams administration um, needing tenants in their buildings in order to remain solvent or, or make more money. The image that Adams wants to project to his donors and to office workers is that New York City is safe. And what they want to make sure that these office workers don't see are homeless people. And so a lot of this has to do with the subway. The mayor has expanded the police budget to historic highs at the expense of other programs, including programs that help the homeless and the mentally ill. He's also stepped up policing, especially for what the city calls quality of life violations. Things like sleeping out on a subway bench or stealing small amounts of food, or public urination, or drinking in public. Max says there have also been targeted efforts to reach people who are mentally ill, like an increased number of mental health outreach workers on the subway. However, the amount of mental health outreach workers that are being sent out don't necessarily reach every person who's experiencing homelessness on the subway. And that's where increased policing comes in, in the form of sweeps, getting people staying in the subway to clear out and go somewhere else. But the sweeps also happen at encampments on the street. Peter, the advocate for the homeless, told me he's witnessed sweeps firsthand. During the first two weeks of the mayor's administration, he had garbage trucks, police and personnel from the Department of Homeless Services, go to as many places as possible throughout the city and tear down the encampments and throw them in the garbage. Their medicine, their clothing, 
any items that they've saved from a, um, a life where they were housed, um, papers like your birth certificate, your social security card, um, the paperwork needed in order to apply for housing, all goes in the garbage truck. The sweeps have been going on for most of the past year, and at the end of 2022, another policy sparked controversy. That's after the break. On this week's episode of Essential Middle East Podcast, we talk about those stereotypes of Arabs and Muslims in Hollywood, so don't miss it. At the end of November, New York City Mayor Eric Adams directed police to take on a much bigger role in getting people off the street and into hospital if necessary. Reporter Max Rivlin-Nadler explains. Police will be the ones to take the lead to not only interact with people who are homeless or experiencing a mental health episode on the subway, but will then have to decide what happens to them. In other words, police decide whether that person should be in a hospital, even if it's against their will. The mayor says this is already the law, and he's just stepping it up. That being said, the way it was actually done in New York was that if a police officer saw that someone wasn't being a danger to somebody else or themselves, they mostly left them alone, because that's not really the training that they've received to deal with somebody who's in the midst of a crisis. It's also hard to evaluate why the person is having the crisis. And Peter Mulvan, the advocate, says what looks like mental breakdown can actually just be exhaustion. A lot of times on the street, people don't get sleep. It's like people stay exhausted. I mean, when somebody's exhausted, um, you actually display symptoms of mental illness from the exhaustion. Mm. The person hasn't had some rest for their mind to get to a baseline. Um, like doctor would say, everybody who comes in would have schizophrenia. Now, though, police will be making that initial evaluation more often, with a hotline staffed by mental health workers to assist them if an officer calls. And when police decide on involuntary assistance, that opens up a whole range of outcomes. First of all, they need to get that person into an ambulance to take them to a hospital. Often that kind of heightens the experience that that person's having. This is a problem that goes beyond homelessness, and it can go very wrong. In some cases, police officers were sent to apartments to help what's known as an emotionally disturbed person, but ultimately shot and killed them. Now let's say they've got them into the ambulance and they're going to a hospital where they're taking them for the most part is to the emergency department to either be given antipsychotic medication or just be allowed to cool off. But that's happening in the context of a pandemic that is, in fact, still going on. Emergency rooms in New York are beyond full. Hospitals are understaffed and they have fewer and fewer beds for psychiatric patients. What happens when they're in that emergency room is a few things. They're treated for the crisis that they're going through, and then they're evaluated for what's going to happen next. 
And for the most part, that is being released back out onto the street, sometimes with some antipsychotic medication, sometimes with medication that maybe they had before for a chronic condition that they lost. But basically, um, the, the availability of mental health programs in New York City right now is really limited. So you might be assigned a caseworker, you might be told to report back at a certain date there were extensive delays in placement into a shelter, in some cases, nearly a month. But for the most part, after the 48 to 72 hours that you spend in an emergency room in New York City, you're back out on the street uh, dealing with what you were dealing with before. Another problem is the rights of people who are being sent to hospital against their will. Although the police are involved... Max says there are important differences from an arrest. The criminal justice system has its problems, but you are assigned a lawyer. You have no advocate. The police and the EMTs that brought you there are not necessarily responsible to alert anybody that you know that this is where you're being held. Sometimes that happens, sometimes it doesn't. So it's possible, and I've talked to people who this happens to, that nobody knows where you are for 72 hours, for a week, um, for a really long amount of time. So you kind of get lost in the system. The city does understand this problem of people cycling through, and the mayor has said hospitals would be directed to discharge patients once there is a plan to continue their care. To be able to keep people that long, the city will need more money from the state. But so far, as for what effect moving people from the streets to hospitals has actually had, Max says it's hard to tell. We know that people aren't necessarily getting the help they need. So it's really just making sure that people are not visible. And that's based on perception. It's unclear what the end goal of this is. It is to try to make people feel safer coming into the city. It is trying to kind of hide some of the worst impacts of the affordability crisis in New York City um, in a way that's fairly disingenuous to the people experiencing those impacts. And on top of that, it's playing a media game, which is just basically saying, I'm doing something. When a policy is based on perception, it's not just difficult to track the real-life impact, it can also make the solutions feel out of reach. One thing that a lot of people think is that you can really get lost in the weeds here and um, it's just so difficult to find a solution here. How could we consider finding homes for all these people in the wealthiest city in the wealthiest country in the world? Uh, there are very clear answers to this. The problem is they all require spending money. One solution is getting people into thousands of apartments that are meant for the homeless and going unfilled. Due to city budget cuts, it's taking forever to get people into them. Along with that would be more money for programmes focused on supporting people rather than getting them out of sight. But Peter says the focus for the city is on shelters. I think for 40 years, the system has been geared towards make people so uncomfortable that they will go into a system that they have experienced before and had 
such negative experiences that they do not want to return. Peter, you've been in New York for a long time. Would you say that any of this is new? Or is this the same old story we've seen when other mayors have decided it's time to get the homeless off the streets? Unfortunately, it's a ramped up version. We have a population in this city whose human rights have been trampled on, dehumanizing people and traumatizing people, whether it be on the streets, in the subways, or in the shelters, isn't going to work because the numbers of people are just going up. If you do not want them to be an eyesore, if you do not want them to interfere with the business of tourism, the solution is to house them, not to institutionalize them, but to house them. And that's The Take. This episode was produced by Alexandra Locke with Chloe K. Lee, Ashish Mahotra, Nagin Oliay, Amy Walters, and me, Halima Hiedin. Alex Roldan is our sound designer. Alexandra Locke is The Take's executive producer. And Nay Alvarez is Al Jazeera's head of audio. We'll be back 